Would you turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians, the sixth chapter. <clears throat> this evening at the training union hour at 6.15, I want to present everybody that's there one of these periodicals I believe will be a blessing to you called the Southern Baptist Advocate. This is Father's Day and a day that we pause to just look into the Bible to see what God says about our fathers. It's such a joy to see so many dads in this auditorium this morning. and We rise to salute them and honor them. Some are here with great pride. Some are here with a lot of joy in their hearts. There are some fathers today who have a lot of sorrow and sadness in their hearts. But all of us would thank God for that noble person who is our Father. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Word of God that has so much to say about our dads and about the office and responsibility of being a father. We pray for God's hand upon this hour, these next few moments, that the Holy Spirit would have His way, would do His work, the work that only He can do, beyond anything that the preacher could say. The voice of God must be heard. May we hear from the Lord today as we humble ourselves in thy presence. We pray that someone who has never been saved or somebody who is not sure of his salvation will open his heart to Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 6, this is actually part of an outline in the book of Ephesians that begins with chapter 5, verse 18 where the Holy Spirit says to the Apostle Paul, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he outlines how spirit-filled people behave. He says in verse 19, they have a song in their heart. Verse 20, they have gratitude and thanksgiving in their hearts and on their lips. Number verse 21, they submit themselves one to another. Verse 22 speaks of how wives who are filled with the Holy Spirit will behave toward their husbands. Verse 25 speaks of how husbands who are filled with the Holy Spirit will behave toward their wives. We come to chapter 6, we find how children who are filled with the Holy Spirit will respond to their, their parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. And then we come to verse four. We find what the scripture says a spirit-filled father will do, what he will be like. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now there are many other verses in the Bible that deal with this same subject, but this is an outstanding verse and one that would be wise for us to hide in our hearts. Would you read it with me again? Ephesians 6 verse 4, everyone reading together. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When every day throughout the year we've gone the same old way, it's difficult to make a change for one specific day. After he sang us 
funny songs when we were very small, and later taught us how to walk and then to catch a ball, and helped us with our lessons too and pulled us through our ears, and gave us talks on life and love and always paid the bills. All year we've tossed no praise at him, this creature known as Father. Why build the old man up today? You'll find it's worth a bother. Somebody wrote that little dogra about a daddy. I think this one's a little bit better. I'm glad that God made fathers out of men who once were boys, who understood boys' troubles and put up with their noise. Of course, dad's not good at cooking, meals a family requires, but you ought to taste the flapjacks baked on hiking trip campfires. Some dads are even smart enough to explain arithmetic and why you'd better lose a game than win with a mean trick. Sometimes dad will kiss a bump, that's only when you're small, and when there's time to play with us, we have a great game of ball. I'm glad that God made fathers out of men who once were boys, who remember boys have troubles and need dads to share their joys. Yes, today is Father's Day. All kinds of problems in our world are going on. Crime on an upsurge, sin rampant, open sex, open nudity, girly shows, open drunkenness, premarital sex, abortion on birth, on, uh, on demand as a birth control measure, Christian schools under attack. This is a day of recognition in honor of our fathers. William A. Smart was a Civil War veteran he raised his motherless pioneer family on the prairies of the Midwest. The first Sunday of June, 1910, was his birthday. He died in 1919. A grateful daughter, Mrs. Dodd, grateful for her beloved father, concerned about the, worry, the way we neglect our fathers, conceived the idea of a special day to recognize the value and respect we should have toward all our fathers. She urged all the pastors of Spokane, Washington to honor the fathers on that particular day. Well, preachers were a little bit slow and they couldn't get all their sermons together until the third Sunday of June. And so on the third Sunday of June, the first Father's Day was designated in Spokane, Washington. Today, Father's Day is observed in over 60 countries of the world. President Woodrow Wilson gave Father's Day its first official recognition in 1916. In 1924, President Calvin Coolidge observed uh, Father's Day and urged its observance all over the nation and into the possessions and territories of America. On April 24, 1972, President Richard Nixon signed the resolution and issued the first Presidential Father's Day proclamation that year. Mrs. Dodd died at age 96, March the 22nd, 1978, leaving behind her a world that has set aside a special day to honor our, dead, our dads. She was an artist, a poet, a good wife, and a mother, and one thing she was not, a feminist. She had no regard whatsoever for the ERA movement, but she honored our fathers. In Ephesians 6, 4, we deal with a nugget of gold from the Word of God 
that reminds us of the responsibility of fathers. Ye pro fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, the first thing we notice is that not all fathers follow that truth. Over in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time, saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very handsome man, and his, and he, and his mother bore him after Absalom. You recognize the story. His dad was David. And David, while he was a man of God, a man after God's own heart, a very precious man, the man who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David spoiled his sons. Never corrected them. Sometimes went days and days and days and never dealt with them. Two of them rebelled against him, Adonijah and Absalom. And so we learned that you can be a good man. You can be a great man. You can be a Christian man and still not follow what the Scripture says. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In 2 Kings chapter 21, if you have, them, if you have your Bible, open it there. 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 19 and 22. Ammon was 20 and 2 years old when he began to reign. He reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulamoth, the daughter of Heres of Jadpath. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh did. And he walked in all the ways of his father, and served the idols that his father served, and worshipped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers, and walked not in the way of the Lord. So we have Adonijah, who had a godly father, David. And Adonijah did not walk in the ways of his father. We have a man named Ammon who had a wicked father named Manasseh, and he walked in all the wicked ways of his father, which simply proves, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If a godly man fails to do what God says to do with his children, he will reap ungodly children. If a wicked man fails to do what God says to do with his children, he will reap the, what the Bible says on godly children. And so, the Scripture says, with a tremendous injunction, that fathers, not to provoke their children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The nurture means feeding them getting them under the Word early in their lives. Sing, my nephew graduated from Mid-America the other day with a doctorate. He used to visit our church years and years and years ago when he was a little boy. 
often we'd go off in a corner and he'd give me scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture and I'd say to his dad where do you get those scriptures he couldn't even read them his dad said well his mother and I just sat there and taught him scripture after scripture and we'd drive down the road we we didn't count cows we learned scripture verses when we were sitting around at home we didn't just play rook we learned the Bible and it was buried in that young man's heart the wonderful Word of God and before he was 30 years old God let him go on and receive that doctorate in theology I'm thankful for him I do not brag on him I just grateful I'm just using that as an illustration to say little kids little children can have the Word of God hidden their hearts it's good to play ball it's good to learn all the things we need to learn, but do not leave out the nurture, the nurture, the milk of the Word of God. The nurture and admonition, that means exhortation, that means telling them what the Word of God says. By precept and example, it's one thing. It's one thing to tell, it's another thing to do. And so, the scripture commands that fathers do three things. Number one, provoke not your children to wrath. That means don't, don't taunt them and taunt them and taunt them and taunt them and taunt them. I've seen some kids picked on and picked on and picked on until they just rebelled by being picked on. God says don't do that. But on the other hand, bring them up in the nurture. Give them the wonderful word, the milk of the word of God. In the nurture and the admonitions of the Lord. Not so long ago I asked three fathers, what in your life will most greatly influence your son to walk in the ways of his father to righteousness? Here's what they said. There are about four things. Number one, let my children know I really mean with my life what I say with my lips. Let my children know that I really mean with my life what I say with my lips. Number two, have no compromise with convictions. Stand straight on the things of God. Number three, administer discipline with love. Number four, teach my children the real reason why their father walks the way he does. Without any apology, teach them why he walks the way he does. It pays to serve Jesus. I ask, what makes children walk in wickedness? Here's what some of them said. A lack of godly discipline. A lack of godly discipline. I asked a boy one day why he did not follow Christ. Although his parents went to church regularly, why are you so rebellious? Why don't you go to church? Why do you rebel against the faith of your fathers? I wouldn't, I will carry down to my grave the name of the person that told me this. It's a long time ago. I still wouldn't tell you. But I quote, he said, a hypocrisy at home. Hypocrisy at home. Number two, 
the parents thought the preaching of the pastor was not to be followed. That's what I learned at home. I said, my, my parents went to church, went to your church. They heard you preach. They'd come home and talk about you, be critical of you. And they'd say, the preacher is a little bit fanatical. You don't have to listen to what he says. So I didn't. They were critical of the church and its pastor. That boy walked away from God. I'm going to tell you, if you don't agree with what the Word of God is preached from the pulpit, hide it in your heart, pray about it, but don't talk to your family about it. Don't go home and tell your children, we well, just this preacher just got a little excited or he's a little bit fanatical or he doesn't understand. I've heard, I've heard through these years, well, preacher, you just don't understand because you don't have any children, you don't have any grandchildren, you don't understand. I may not, but I understand what the Bible teaches. I know what God says. And God doesn't say something different to one person than he says to another. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God says, walk with God. Ch Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This was sustained by a statement made by one of the most effective youth workers in the entire nation. Here's what he said. With few exceptions, every boy or girl I have seen rebel against God and the church and life rooted his rebellion in some sort of rebellion or permissiveness at home. With this in mind, may I suggest to you, not from my own experience, but from the Word of God and abundant observation, a formula for a father's life. If he would have his son or daughter walk in the paths of righteousness rather than the paths of wickedness, several things. Number one, honor the Word of God. Honor this wonderful book. God says in Proverbs chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Honor the word of God. I'm aware, you know, there's quite a controversy about the Bible today. We just attended a convention in Dallas. I want to talk to you tonight about it, about, about, it really centered about the Bible. What is the Bible? Is it really authoritative? Is it really the inerrant Word of God? I realize the Bible is not a good luck charm. The Bible sitting on that communion table is only a symbol. Just that open Bible in this room probably doesn't bring this room any added grace. I, I'm aware of that. And yet I want to tell you there's something about the wonderful Word of God in its symbolic truth that gives you authority. And I think there's something about having an open Bible on your coffee table at home. Just have it there. Something about having a Bible on your pillow when you get up in the morning, just lay it there open. 
to remind you to read it before you go to bed at night. Put on your children's bed an open Bible just symbolically to say this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Honor the Word of God. Number two, habitually set a standard. Consistency, no compromise. Just be true to the Word of God in your own life. That doesn't mean you're perfect. There's not one man, woman, boy, or girl within the sound of my voice today who can say I live an impeccable life or a life absolutely above reproach. I suppose God and our own heart know us better than anybody else. And sometimes when someone brags on you a little bit, you feel like crawling under a chair and you feel like saying, well, if they only knew the whole story, they wouldn't brag so much. Because none of us is anything. There's not anything good in our flesh except that which honors Christ. But we can have a consistent walk with God so that we walk day by day with the Bible and with prayer. What place does the Bible have in our home? What place does the Bible have in a godly man? A number of years ago, I, I, don't do, I haven't done it for a long time, but I used to go fishing a lot. Matter of fact, you won't ever believe this. I have some golf clubs in my closet that I haven't used for 27 years. I used to live in Michigan. I went, I went golfing often. I've only been golfing one time in Bowling Green. That's when it snowed. Nothing else was going on, so I went out there and knocked that ball through the snow. I used to go fishing some of our men a number of years ago. I was very impressed. One man I went with, he had a little testament in his pocket. He used to smoke. He carried a little testament in his pocket. We got out there and fished, and then while we were fishing, we just read from the Bible. I like that kind of fishing, where you can take God into partnership with you. Take God wherever you go. Take God's Word wherever you go. And I want to tell you, young kids, seeing their fathers do that, get something by osmosis. They just pick it up. They connect fishing with the Bible. They connect ball with the Bible. They connect the things that they like to do with the Word of God. And they can get the connection. You don't have to preach it to them about it. They get it. And when there's a big ball game going on somewhere and you say, well, you know, I'd really like to go there, but my church is having a revival meeting or we're having something that's very important at church and, and John or Harry or Joel, whatever your name is, you know, we need to honor God by being at God's house. Your son get that. He'll pick it up just like that. And he won't rebel. If you rebel, he'll rebel. If he understands that you understand the set of priorities, he'll want those same set of priorities if you do it in love and spend some time with your son and your daughter. Consistency concerning smoking, concerning drink, concerning sex, concerning staying together as a husband and wife. Lots of times, you know, I take my hats off to husbands and wives who are here today and who listen by radio who have been together for years. Instead of taking the line of least resistance when somebody has been unfaithful and you get resentment in your heart and say, well, I'll tell you, I'm not going to live with that unfaithful old character. So you divorce the old codger. Well, you have a right to divorce them. The Bible gives you that right, but it doesn't command it. To err is human. 
To forgive is divine, and God, God is on the side of forgiveness every time. That doesn't say that divorce is the unforgivable sin. Doesn't say that at all. And I respect people who have been through heartaches and hurts and crushes and, and have come out and are going on, trying to pick up broken pieces and go on, even with another partner. God bless you. God help you. But I want to tell you who are still married to the first partner, even when there are some incongruities that come in and some hardships and, and uh, problems and, and humanity and somebody's not all that they ought to be, God doesn't say, get rid of them, throw them down in the gutter and go find somebody else. God doesn't say that. God says, pick up broken pieces and go on. And I, I tell you, sons and daughters get that. They understand. They can pick it up like that. And so, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Harbor your home in love. Love that is obvious with parents and children. I think it's good for boys and girls to let their mothers and see their mothers and daddy kiss each other once in a while. Love each other a little bit. Children that grow up in homes where there's no love evidence know how, have a hard time knowing how to love. And actually, the Bible says that love is to be initiated on the part of the father. So, fathers, you know what to do about that. Heal the breaches with meaningful discipline, definite responsibilities. Help lead your son or daughter to Jesus. The man in the home has a responsibility to teach and to train and to provide and to nurture and to control and to love and to be righteous. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, Word of God says, let's listen to it. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The godly man is what, is what makes righteous homes, not by our own righteousness, but, but by Christ's righteousness. T.J. Powell was born in 1921. When he was 17, his father was a drunkard and alcoholic. His mother and father fought and fussed all the time. One night, the father was, came home drunk. He was beating T.J.'s mother, trying to kill her. The boy intervened and took his shotgun and told his father to leave his mother alone. The father kept on beating her and T.J. shot his dad and his father died. T.J. was convicted, served 15 years in the Alabama State Penitentiary. He later married Dora. Lived under an awful, awful guilt. Imagine killing your own father. He couldn't get away from it. Years ago, I went to Leroy, Alabama in 1954 to help in a revival meeting. We were out visiting one day, and the pastor said, you see that man coming? He was up on his horse. He said, that's old T.J. Powell. He said, everybody here knows T.J. T.J. sort of withdrawn, recluse. He said, they say that years ago he killed his own daddy. He's a mean man. I went up to T.J. Something my dad taught me years and years and years ago when I was a little boy was to never be afraid of horses. I love horses. So I went up and admired his horse. 
I got, I started combing his horse with my own comb. The horse loves that. If you ever want to help a horse, just comb it a little bit, pat it, and pull its hair, you know. And I massaged it a little bit. You know, they love that, just like dogs do. And T.J. looked at me and said, you like horses, don't you? I said, yeah, I like horses. I like people that ride them. So why don't you let me ride it? And T.J. let me ride his horse. And then I got off. I said, T.J., I don't know you very well. I just met you. But there's something real, real, real powerful and precious inside of you that would let us perfect stranger ride this good horse of yours. I said, I want to talk to you about the one that loves both of us, the Heavenly Father. And T.J. let me stand there and talk to him about Jesus. And in a few minutes, that man that they said was a mean old man, he and I knelt by the horse's hoofs. And old T.J. gave his life to Jesus. I saw him come to church that night and make a profession of faith in Christ, follow his Lord in baptism. God can change His righteousness into our lives, not our own righteousness, but His. It's an imputed righteousness. When we come to Jesus Christ, we don't come and say, well, I promise to be good the rest of my life. I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to be a good man rest of my life. Never going to sin again. That's not what being saved means. Being saved doesn't mean turning over a new life, leaf. It means getting a new life. And when a man recognizes that he is under God's authority and he allows God's authority to so thoroughly overshadow him and he opens his heart to the Lord. You know what comes in? First of all, God's grace. God's forgiveness, God's cleansing. And though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And God forgives and God receiveth sinful men. And then God cleans us up. He not only forgives us, but he cleans us up and he makes us accepted, first of all, before God and secondly, before the people. Oh, T.J., down in Leroy, Alabama, became a leader in that church. The man that killed his own father, served 15 years in jail, had a recluse attitude, resentment, withdrew from everybody. God changed him. He became somebody for God. And I want to tell you, you can be a somebody for God if you'll put your all on the altar and just let Jesus have you. My time is up. I want to say, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the only way you can do that is to invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. And that's true not only for daddies. It'll work for mamas. It'll work for sons. It'll work for daughters. It'll work for anybody who will come to God just as you are. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee. The Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to every one of our heart cries. He's the one that cleanses and forgives. And Father, I do not know who 
was listening today. Maybe somebody with a terrible guilt feeling. Maybe somebody who has hurt someone else or has been greatly hurt by someone else. But Lord, Thou art able to cleanse and forgive and save to the uttermost everybody who will come to Thee. We pray this morning that You'll touch moms and dads and sons and daughters. I pray that every daddy in this room would make a high resolve in his heart to bring his son or daughter up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Have thy way, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. May we stand, please. What's our song? Number 242. 242. May I ask you, please, to just remain here in the room for a few moments. No one moving about. God is speaking to your heart. Friend, if you're here and you have never received Jesus as your Savior, I want to plead with you to come to Christ just as you are without one plea but that His blood was shed for thee. You know what that song means? It means, Lord, I come to you. I don't claim that I'm any good at all. And I know I'm a sinner. But Lord, you shed your blood for me and I come under the blood of Christ. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come to thee. Would you come to him this morning? And there are some here who could leave your old tattered garments. You could step out into a brand new life with Christ, walking with the King. Even though you've already been saved, you've already experienced salvation, somehow there isn't any peace there. There isn't any power. There isn't any joy. It's just a drudgery. Step out of all that and step into a life of the Spirit. What I told you about this morning, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord can only be fulfilled when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's part of Ephesians 5.18. That's how a Spirit-filled man walks. That's how a Spirit-filled father does it. So I plead with you to do it today. And if you're not saved, come. If you've been saved and have not been baptized, you come. Take that stand for Jesus this morning. While we begin to sing, who will come first for the King? Will you come?